It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, August 20th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. A record number of migrants have come to the U.S. this fiscal year, and some of them are being put on buses in Texas and sent by the governor there to Washington, D.C. and New York City. Governor Abbott says New York is a sanctuary city, and New York's mayor says this should cost Abbott his job. I think as far as, you know, moving people to New York, I think you're going to see a natural migration anyway, and we're already seeing it. I'm Kevin Cork. If you've flown anywhere this summer or know someone who has, Chances are you've heard all the stories about just how bad things have gotten when it comes to flying. But if a pair of congressional lawmakers have their way, clear skies are just ahead. The Federal Trade Commission has a role to play here in setting the terms for the airline industry. So we we want some action federally to hold them accountable. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Earlier this month, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said they would now be busing migrants not just to Washington, D.C., but also to New York City, saying in a statement, New York is the ideal destination for these migrants who can receive the abundance of city services and housing that Mayor Eric Adams has boasted about within the sanctuary city. But now people in Washington, D.C. and New York are seeing what Texas has to grapple with. And I got news for them. They are, haven't yet seen the fullness of what we're busing up there. We're going to be adding thousands upon thousands of more to Washington, D.C. and to New York. Record numbers of migrants have been apprehended at the border so far this fiscal year, which ends in a little over a month. 1.8 million migrants have been caught, a record high compared to the previous record high just a year prior. And with some of the new arrivals now in New York, Mayor Eric Adams says there are now 4,000 migrants using homeless services. He's asking for federal government help and FEMA help. He's also going political, as Abbott faces an election in November against Democratic candidate Beto O'Rourke. I already called all of my friends in uh, Texas and told them how to cast their vote. And uh, I am deeply contemplating taking a busload of New Yorkers uh, to go to Texas and do some good old-fashioned door-knocking. Uh, because we, we have to, for the good of America, we have to get him out of office. What exactly is a sanctuary city? Advocacy groups against illegal immigration, like the Center for Immigration Studies, have compiled lists of sanctuary cities, counties, and even states. In the case of Los Angeles, for years, part of that status meant law enforcement would not initiate stops based on the suspected immigration status of a person. During the Trump administration, California passed a statewide law banning local and state resources from assisting or coordinating with federal immigration authorities. Uh, with federal authorities to know that if somebody was here in the country illegally and had committed a crime or crimes, uh, there would be no reporting to ICE to advise them of that. Charles Marino was senior law enforcement advisor to Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano in the Obama administration and supervisory special agent in the Secret Service under three presidents. Further, 
uh, there would be no notification to ICE authorities uh, from the locals regarding a release date from jail if that illegal immigrant was sentenced to uh, to jail. Normally, the cooperation agreement requires 48 hours uh, right. of extended stay to make sure that there's a seamless transition to custody so then ICE can start deportation uh, proceedings. But the other thing, too, is um, sanctuary states and cities prevent their local authorities from participating in any immigration-related federal task forces. Right. And and did that actually, did that, did that failure of cooperation result in more task force enforcement activities in, in those sanctuary areas? Or was that like more of a sensitive thing to then do? I don't think it changed the, the name of the game in the sense of federal authorities. I mean, you know, they're going to go out and do what they need to do. So they're going to they're going to try and figure out different ways to get the information that they need. Right. So is it, you know, trying to get somebody in the courts that's willing to work with them and bypass the local authorities and hope that somebody gives them the information that they need. But in the sense that that all goes away, it's very hard for Immigration and Customs Enforcement to kind of go out there and pound the pavement, so to speak, like local police do, because, you know, ICE is not conducting car stops, right? They're not right. participating in, in you know, community policing efforts. They're not walking footbeats. So, so by their very nature, a federal agency, uh, specifically ICE in this case, is not going to have the type of daily interactions with the public that's going to bring that information to them in the same way that it would to local authorities, which is why that partnership and cooperation is so important. Yeah, it seemed like when ICE did any sort of task force, you know, enforcement, it would be because they had specific information about people in an area. It wouldn't it wasn't just like we're knocking on random people's doors. That's right. But, uh, you know, as a rule of thumb, that that first contact with somebody that's in the country illegally and committing crimes is almost certainly going to be the local and state law enforcement right. authorities, which is why there's this seamless uh, process that's in place when it's when it's complied with. Uh, and locals cooperate that kind of can do that seamless transition to ICE authorities so that they can then enforce the federal law and enact and start those those uh, deportation proceedings. As you know, the governor of Texas is sending migrants on buses out of state. And he says that, right. um, you know, after Washington, D.C., New York seemed like the, the proper place for many of them that that even some of them had said we would like to go to New York. Um, mm -hmm. Some who, who disagree with the governor have accused him of like pulling a PR stunt. But he said, and I'm quoting him, if the mayors of America's most populous city and the nation's capital are complaining about a few thousand migrants, imagine what these small border communities with more limited resources face on the front lines. What do you make of that response? And does he have a point? Um, this is certainly politics. Uh, he does have a point. Uh, I think he's trying to make a point that he doesn't necessarily need to make. I, I think the rest of the country realizes that the border states are being completely overwhelmed and that the Biden administration has failed policies on the border, which are actually leading to a deterioration, not just of our national security, uh, but it's a humanitarian crisis. This, the one thing that they promised their policies were actually going to be better 
than the last administration at. So I haven't seen that yet. And I think as far as, you know, moving people to New York, I think you're going to see a natural migration anyway. And we're already seeing it of migrants once they're allowed in the country and awaiting their uh, deportation proceedings uh, or or hearings. Um, they are naturally going to migrate to these sanctuary cities. Um, we've seen this historically in the past, uh, and it's certainly continuing now. So these folks, in all reality, are going to go to places like D.C. and New York. And the last thing, Jessica, is this, is that I agree with the statement that based on the overwhelming numbers, which could be as high as three million at this point in time that have come into the country, I think it is going to turn our big cities into border cities. I think they are eventually going to experience what border towns are, and it's going to overwhelm their infrastructure, which is why I think we're seeing them start to complain. It's going to overwhelm their law enforcement, their judicial systems, hospitals, schools, you name it. Um, and, and they're just not you know, prepared to handle it, but they are sanctuary cities, and so there is an enticement factor there. The reactions of mayors like Eric Adams and Muriel Bowser that, you know, they say this is unacceptable that Abbott's doing this. And, and, you know, obviously that's their reaction. Right. But they also are now saying that they need help with all of these additional people. Um, I think Mayor Adams has even said, like, federal government, FEMA, help us. Should some federal reaction occur here? And, and what could the federal government do in, in terms of helping a city with the influx of people? Yeah, I think we need to look at this in terms of sequence uh, from a national security strategy standpoint. And that is, I think the resources uh, need to be down at the border. And I think the immigration laws need to be enforced. Um, I think if we're looking at, you know, we hear the term root causes uh, of this problem. If we look at it now more localized in the country, the root causes of the problems that D.C. and New York City are now seeing is the way our border is not being secured, the way our immigration laws are not being enforced, right? The way we're letting everybody that shows up to the border claim asylum, deteriorating the true meaning and intention of asylum programs. So, you know, we've got to start somewhere. And I don't think it's settle sending federal resources like FEMA and additional grants to these types of cities to handle the problem. I think you know, the Biden administration needs to wake up, realize that they've, they've caused a catastrophic problem here. Um, they came into office, you know, criticizing what the previous administration had in place with respect to immigration enforcement, which is their right. New parties that come into office have the right to set their own immigration policy. What they don't have the right to do, Jessica, is come in and say everything before us was horrible and inhumane and then replace it with nothing and say the border is essentially open. So we kind of have to re-baseline this entire approach to the way we're dealing with this. And it has got to start on our own borders. You know, we do see the, the, the new numbers that keep coming out, you know, monthly of these new high, record high engagements at the border, record high apprehensions. Um, I think even just this summer, there was an estimate put out that there were like a half a million gotaways. Dozens of people have been uh, apprehended that were their names matched the, the, the terror screening database. Right. If you had to guess when you when you see these numbers and you hear this data coming out, what if you had to guess what is the thinking 
of the administration on this? Because we don't really hear the president talk a lot about the border. Um, the DHS Secretary Mayorkas has said things like the border's secure, we have it under control. What is the thinking then if, the, if this data just continually comes out and we're, we're hearing this kind of messaging from the White House? Yeah, I, I can tell you what the initial thinking was. And, and the initial thinking was they wanted to distance themselves on this subject as quickly as possible from the previous administration. But they had no plan in place, as I just referred to. They're right. also they're also, you know, have been significant promises that were made by this administration to the immigration advocacy groups to the point that some were in the administration mm. uh, from some of these groups actually creating the very policies that you and I are talking about right now, which are causing the problems. So, you know, we've got the campaign promises, the promises with the administration, the influence of the immigration advocacy groups, the lack of planning uh, on the part of the administration. And, you know, when we look at all this, I, I think it's easier to talk about what they're not thinking about and what they're not thinking about. And what I urged them to refer to, you know, now almost two years ago was that somebody in the administration needed to reread the 9-11 commission report, ah. because what they're what they're allowing to have happened down at the border is undercutting every national security program and policy that was put in place following the attacks of 9-11. And and if you look at 9-11, Jessica, and this is no overstatement, our immigration system was also exploited in that case. We had people that were in the United States that should have no longer been here. So, you know, we talk about known encounters. We talk about gotaways. Gotaways are essentially where CBP lays eyes on somebody and they can't get their hands on an illegal migrant to take right. them into custody. But how about the ones we don't know about at all? Yeah, that oh, I think that. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, if you've so, got if you've got so, dozens of people being, you know, their names are matching on the terrorist screening, you know, list, then and you've got half a million gotaways, then you, that that leads you to naturally to that question. That's right, and you know that's the thing that used to keep me up when I was advising the Secretary of Homeland Security because she did put me, uh, you know, responsible from her office to help oversee with CBP and ICE the law enforcement engagement strategy along the entire southwest border so you know ultimately that fell to me um and was my responsibility and and that was you know as a career law enforcement official who served in a position in a in a position that reported to a politically appointed secretary of homeland security who right. happened to be a democrat our mission was still to make sure that we were enforcing the border the best we could. And if somebody got into the country and were committing crimes, to get them out of here as quickly as possible. You worked on, during the Obama administration. Are you surprised That's to right. see? Are you surprised to see the Biden administration? Obama's vice president was uh, Joe Biden. Are, are you surprised to see uh, the, the differences in, in comparing these Democratic administrations? Well, I am, especially since President Biden often prides himself on, on being, you know, well-liked uh, and also a fan of law enforcement mm. and law and order. But, you know, we saw what the change uh, in his policies and approach cost him during the campaign. He did not receive uh, one letter of support from any of the major law enforcement associations, mm. which is rare for him. So they did not like what they were starting to hear from him. And, and with respect to President Obama, 
let's remember the immigration advocacy groups were no fan of his. I know. They used, they, they used to they used to call him the deporter in chief. I remember. So you know, it, I, your point is well taken. I mean, how can the administration of Obama and Biden as vice president, and now Biden as president, be so different? Um, and I think it's that the administration of President Biden has allowed itself to move so far left and be influenced so much by the immigration advocacy groups that they're now on the wrong side of common sense when it comes to keeping the citizens of this country safe. And the people know it. It's very hard to hide numbers like this. Yeah. And especially, it's we're not talking about people coming from Latin America, Northern Triangle. We're not. We're talking about this is a global problem Word is out around the world that there is no better time to make this trip to the United States and make it to the southwest border and be guaranteed getting in than now. Yeah, we saw it with Ukrainians. Um, do, does Abbott's busing of migrants end up working? Like if he wants to draw attention to his issue, to this crisis, yeah. Um, and, and he's and he's doing it in this manner. And then the the result of that is that you have Democratic mayors saying, whoa, help. Does the president then listen? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because I think we're seeing it. And I know we're talking about New York and D.C. a lot, Jessica. But I think we're seeing it play out differently in D.C. in terms of Muriel Bowser's approach and and the approach of Eric Adams. And And so here's what I've seen. And this is why I think Muriel Bowser um, is is on the right side of this as much as she can, even though I believe it's disingenuous. But she has come out and called this what we all knew it was. And that's a humanitarian disaster. Uh, She left out the part about national security, but she focused on humanitarian disaster and crisis. And she's right. I can tell you by her uttering those words, she made no friends within the White House. I can tell you that. I don't know it for a fact, but I can tell you they were very they were likely not very happy hearing those phrases from the Democratic mayor of the city uh, in which they also work. But we also see how the Democratic administration of Biden turned on her when she put in for the request of the National Guard. That was denied by Biden's secretary of defense. Mm. Right. So so they're not going to play ball with her. Uh, based on what they'll view as a political stunt by her and her not being in line with the Democratic Party and the administration. Now, Eric Adams has played it a little differently and going, he's keeping this direct with uh, Governor Abbott, Abbott, right? And and, and he's saying, you know, this is politicization uh, of these illegal migrants, right? It's exploiting them. um, And it's just not right to be putting them on buses and sending them to my city. And oh, by the way, I need help too. But, you know, Eric Adams, here he is, a former law enforcement officer, still no mention about what it does to national security, no mention about what it could potentially do to one of the number one terrorist targets in the world, New York City, right, mm. which he's responsible for the safety and security, everybody there. And they're not doing very well right now. So why have an added problem? So I would say in terms of, you know, both being disingenuous Absolutely. I think we're going to see a lot of that. And I think as the migration pattern expands and continues, we're going to hear about this. I'm not sure how publicly, Jessica, but I can tell you the administration will start to see an uptick 
in the mayors that they hear from, because everybody is going to inherit the same types of problems that I mentioned earlier to their infrastructure as D.C. and New York are talking about right now. And again, it's back to the point. Every city is going to become a border town. Charles Marino, thank you so much for your insight and your time. Thanks, Jessica. Lengthy lines, lost luggage, canceled flights, and long, long waits both in the terminal and on the tarmac. Just some of the many reasons that summer travelers are incredibly frustrated and demanding answers. Things have gotten so bad in the skies above that lawmakers on Capitol Hill are taking action. Illinois Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky on the Friendly Skies Act that she's introduced and why it just might smooth out your next trip. We know that um, air travel has always been somewhat challenging, but since the pandemic and people are back to, to to flying, it's absolutely gotten uh, so much worse. And it's gotten worse since the airlines were able to pocket $540 billion in taxpayer bailout money that they got. Um, and that, you know, we, we have seen that people are being stranded. People um, have, uh, the airlines have cut their staff. And you're right, it is just a nightmare for so many people. We have seen hundreds and hundreds of passengers who have have seen their flights being uh, being canceled, being delayed for hours and hours, making them miss their next connecting flight. And I feel uh, with legislation that we uh, introduced, David Cicilline and I, the Ensuring um, Friendly Skies for Passengers Act, that it is time that we had some regulation of this industry, particularly since we've paid them handsomely since during the the uh, pandemic and beyond. What kind of conversations are you having with the transportation secretary? Because I don't think uh, it'll surprise you. He has uh, come under increasing fire uh, because this industry just seems to be on its heels. Well, the industry is not necessarily on its heels financially, um, but what it's on its heels is it's delivering for consumers. And and so this legislation that we introduced has a, a number of, of provisions. It would make it unlawful and the Federal Trade Commission and um, state attorneys general would be able to enforce the law. It would make it unlawful for them to sell um, tickets or have long delays or to cancel flights when the airlines know in advance that they just don't have the staff to deliver on these services. And that is the kind of thing that actually has been happening. You know, and specifically what we're what we're saying is that a flight could not uh, be canceled less than four hours before uh, takeoff if they knew about that well in advance, like two days in advance. And also if there were long delays, if they knew that that was going to happen four hours or more domestically or six hours more domestically, that this would be a violation and it should be enforced. Um, and so we, we think that there are some things that uh, these distraught consumers can uh, find relief from 
And that's why we introduced this legislation. You know, there's something else that I believe consumers are looking for relief from, in addition to delays and other problems, lost luggage. Uh, the pricing seems to have gotten incredibly expensive. Is that something you're noticing? And is it time, perhaps, for congressional hearings to, to seek answers? You mentioned earlier how some of the airlines seem, seem to be doing great financially, and yet the consumer is really bearing the brunt of outsized growth in pricing. Well, that's why we introduced legislation in the hopes that we could have um, hearings and um, insist on hearings um, so that we can get some answers for these consumers. You know, this summer, and of course, we are thrilled that people feel free to travel, to move about the country. The airports are absolutely full. The flights are absolutely full right now and crowded. So the money is rolling in for the uh, for the airlines. But we have to have some hearings about the kind of practices that are, are being exercised by the airlines and to have some control. So that's what we do want to do, have hearings, have a discussion, and find some solutions. I'm glad that you said find some solutions, because often when I'll have a conversation of this level, uh, people will come to me afterward and they'll say, great conversation, Kevin, but what do we do moving forward? We can talk about some of the issues, and yet I think consumers in general, frankly, Congresswoman, are looking looking to folks like yourself and looking to the industry. What can we do uh, along the way to make things better? Well, obviously, I would like to have support, and we have it from several of the major consumer organizations for mm. our Ensuring Friendly Skies for Passengers legislation, but to actually define what is a deceptive practice? What is not tolerable? You know, can you just cancel a flight if you're an airlines, even though you knew in advance you were going to have the staff that could actually take care of them? Is it all right to say, oh, I'm so sorry, there's a, a four hour delay? Oh, really? You're not going to be able to make your connecting flight that they knew about or should have known about well in advance because they have cut their staff? You know, we, we even had trouble on a on a flight getting out of the airport because there was no one to lock down um, our ability to move out of the, uh, you know, to, to get off the tarmac. I mean, it's just crazy. And so these airlines need to be held accountable, know that they will be held accountable if they don't change their game in favor of consumers. Let me ask you something that may take the conversation in a slightly different direction. There are those who have said, listen, we probably wouldn't have all these problems if uh, all these people hadn't been uh, displaced from their jobs because of the COVID uh, shot mandates. We have had people say to me over the last couple of days, listen, Kevin, uh, this is a staffing issue. We need to revisit this idea of pilots needing to retire in their uh, 60 years old and what have you when people are obviously different now. Back in the day, 60 was considered way up there. Now, at 60, it seems like a pretty young person, at least uh, in the eyes of many. Uh, are there structure? I guess my question is, are there structural things that we need to look at as well? You know, if there are staffing problems, and we see that throughout the economy, don't yeah. sell a ticket. Don't sell a ticket if you know that you're going to have to cancel that flight. Don't sell a ticket if you know you don't have the staff 
to get people out on in, in a reasonable amount of time. And our legislation, I think, is pretty, um, you know, gives pretty much leeway, four hours or six hours for international flights. Then mm. you have to make sure that you understand what individuals are facing. You know, you 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 can't just um, have hundreds and hundreds of unprecedented number of flights being uh, being canceled, and and expect that that you're going to let the consumer foot the bill for that. It's just not fair. Just not fair indeed, especially when consumers say to you repeatedly, "Flights are expensive." Flights are being canceled, luggage, God knows where it's gone anymore, and staffing shortages all abound. Let me have you wrap it up for us, Congresswoman, if there's a takeaway from our conversation that you want to make sure people hang on to, what would that be? That we need as consumers, as legislators, to hold the uh, airline industry accountable for making the kind of accommodations that, that make flying doable for ordinary people to hold them accountable for the kinds of real travesties that airline passengers have been experiencing right now and say that uh, that the Federal Trade Commission has a role to play here in setting the terms for the airline industry. So we, we want some action federally to hold them accountable. Congresswoman, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Who are the frontrunners if President Biden decides not to enter the race in 2024? And Jared Halpern sits down with former U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Jerome Adams to explain what the CDC's reset means for the organization and the Americans it serves. Until then, I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.